Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. There's been a great deal of study recently done in uh, the area of what um, psychologists call subjective well-being, which in layman's terms is, what is it that makes people feel happy? Um, And there's been a lot of research done. It's actually a scientific journal published. It's called the Journal of Happiness Studies. And um, contributors from different sciences um, write research papers that they've done and, and things that they've discovered about people's happiness. And one of the single greatest contributors to people's sense of well-being and, and sense of happiness has to do with having deep, meaningful relationships. That relationships is more than money, more than success, uh, more than career, more than anything else. The single greatest factor in a person's happiness is that sense of belonging, that sense of community. We have all at some level this deep longing for belonging. And if you think about it, I mean, why else, why else would tens of thousands of people dressed in orange and black congregate in the Civic Center of San Francisco just to watch television? Oh, yeah, there was a game going on there. Um, no, but, 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 you know, but, but we, we like to be a part of it. We have this deep longing for belonging. We've been in this series, Pastor Larry talked about, um, beginning back in January, all the way going through the Bible. And what we have seen is this story that we're talking about is this God's unfolding story of redemption in this world. And what we've seen is, from the very beginning, we were created for relationship, We were created for a relationship with God and for relationships with other people. And because of our sin and rebellion and our selfishness, selfishness, um, we lost that relationship. We lost that relationship with God. it, it, It hampers all of our human relationships as well. And what God has been doing in Scripture, this record of God's redeeming work, that He has been in the process of restoring that broken relationship. And for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the life and ministry of Jesus, that God himself came to this earth in human form in the person of Jesus Christ. And on the cross, he paid the ultimate price for your sin and for mine so that we could be restored to this relationship. And in his resurrection, what he did was he offered to us now this new life, this new life with God. And and Jesus is the culmination of the story. But the story doesn't end with him. After his resurrection, what he did was he then told his followers something. He said, now I am entrusting this message of reconciliation. I'm entrusting this message of new community into your hands. This is now yours to take. It's written about in Acts chapter 1. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and in Samaria, and in the other ends of the earth. In other words, you're going to take this message of reconciliation and you're going to take it not just into your hometown. You're going to take it into the surrounding area and beyond you to the very ends of the earth because everyone needs to know that there is a chance for a relationship with God. And about 10 days later, he fulfilled that promise that God sent his Holy Spirit. He empowered his followers and that little group of followers launched an irresistible revolution of grace. They took that message and burst it out all over the world. The book of Acts chapter 2 
kind of tells us a little bit how that happened. And then at the very end of that chapter, it gives us a description of what this new community of grace looked like. And that's where we're going to pick it up this evening. If you want to turn there, it's Acts chapter 42, beginning in verse... Acts 2, beginning in verse 42. Uh, if you have your copy of the story, the book with you, it's page 392. This is a description of that early community. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Talk about belonging. Who wouldn't want to be belong to a, a community like that? This new community that, that God established to take this message and bring it around the world. It's the same community that we are a part of 2,000 years later. And they weren't perfect by any means. I mean, we read this and we kind of get maybe this idealized vision. But they were, they were not perfect. They had their flaws. They had their mistakes. In fact, you read on through the New Testament. You find pretty much in detail a lot of the flaws and mistakes that they made along the way. The church has never been perfect. It is not perfect to this day. But for the last 2,000 years, God has used this imperfect, flawed community called the church to bring that message of grace to a world that desperately needs to know it. And now it's our turn. And there's some things in this chapter here, this little section that we read, there's some priorities that these, this group of people, there's five priorities that they gave themselves to, they devoted themselves to. And those are the very things that we have adopted from the beginnings of our church, Northgate, as these are, these are our core values. And so tonight, um, if you are new to church, um, or if you're back in church for the first time in a long, long time, I'm glad you're here because I want you to know, we're not perfect at any of this stuff, but these are the things that make us who we are. And for those of you who have been here from the very beginning even, I want you to know, this is a good reminder. This is why we exist. These are the core values of what I believe God wants for his church. So that's what we're going to look at. We're not perfect at them, but here's the things that we're devoted to. And this is what we want to pursue. And the first one is this, that we are all people in process. You hear that a lot around here, okay? What it means is that nobody here is perfect, don't let all the pretty faces fool you. They are just as messed up as you are. Now, maybe you're here for the very first time, and you're looking around, and you see those faces, and you go, oh, yeah, I, I had no doubt about that at the beginning. <laughs> Nobody's perfect. Nobody is perfect. None of us are. We are all at different places in our faith journey, and everybody's faith journey looks different than anybody else's because it's unique between each of us and God, but we have it in common. And let me also say this, there is no one's faith journey that does not suffer setbacks from time to time. And maybe that describes you. Maybe you've taken a, a bit of a journey on the, on the business loop, if you will. You've been off the main drag. And, and maybe it's time to get back into community. I want you to know, every one of us here knows exactly what that's like. Because none of us are perfect. What we are here to do is to encourage and to help and to urge each other on. 
See, that's why God established the church. And, and they devoted themselves to the process. Listen to this. They gave themselves to certain activities, behaviors, and disciplines. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They, they gave themselves. They devoted themselves. They became, it became driving forces in their lives that there were certain disciplines and activities and behaviors that they gave themselves to on a regular basis. Because... When we talk about being people in process, that is not an excuse for laziness. That is not an excuse to just, oh, well, nobody's perfect. Neither am I. We're all in this together kind of a thing. We, the, the idea of process implies that there is progress being made in the process. Now, one, of my, one of my favorite programs, my wife absolutely hates this program. It's called How It's Made. Anybody watch How It's Made? Oh, a few fans. Okay. It's, it, it's just... It's, it's a program just how things are made. And it you know, goes to different factories and assembly lines. And, and there's actually a, a, a new version of it called How It's Made Dream Cars. And it shows you like how a Lamborghini is made. You know, how a Rolls Royce is made. How a Porsche is made. You know? And, and I, I love this program because I love seeing how things are put together. My wife hates the program. She says it's the most boring program she's ever watched in her life. But, but it, it fascinates me because I like to see how things get together. Now, here's the deal. If you went to a Lamborghini factory and you saw all these parts come in and then you got to the end of the assembly line and it was just a pile of all these parts and sheet metal and all that other stuff, you would say, that's not much of a process. <laughs> See, the idea of having a process, being in process, implies that you're moving forward, that you're learning, that you're growing. And that's what we're here to do. We're here to learn and to grow and further our faith together. Nobody's arrived. Nobody's got it all figured out. Nobody's perfect. But we are together in this journey. Peter wrote about it this way. He said, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in grace and knowledge. Remember when we looked at the life and ministry of Jesus, we thought he was given, he was full of, of grace and truth. And what Peter is saying is grow just like Jesus full of grace, grow in grace, grow in knowledge and understanding, both. Now, if that's the case, then here's the next thing. If we're all people in process and none of us are perfect, then we need to be a community of grace, a grace-filled community. No one's perfect, which means we have to be able to accept each other as is. And that's what I love about the early church, that they not only accepted each other, but they welcomed each other and cared for and loved. It says all the believers were together and had everything in common. Acts 4.32 says all the believers were one in heart and mind, which means they were for each other. They wanted to see each other grow. They wanted to see each other cared for. They wanted to, they wanted to see each person thrive and succeed. And, and what not just the lovable people, but the difficult people too. They cared for the needy among them. And, and like, every church has that, those people, okay? Every church has those lovable people, and every church has those not-so-lovable people, those difficult people. Just show of hands. How many would say, I can think of at least one difficult person in my life? Okay, okay, okay. Now, if the person you came with raised their hand, I'm just saying, okay, it might be you. The early church cared for those who weren't even like them because they were following 
the example they had of Jesus. That's what Jesus did. He accepted people that nobody else had time for. What it comes down to is just spending time with each other. Taking time to build relationships. To care for one another. Watch over each other. It's, it's one of the reasons, by the way, around here, we put such an emphasis and encourage people to get involved in a community group. Community groups are, we meet throughout the week in homes, and it's groups of about 10, 12, 14 people or so. And, and we just get down, and we sit down, and we, we study together through the scriptures, particularly the scriptures that we've been studying on the weekend. We get a chance in community, in a smaller group, not a face in a crowd, but with other people, and learn from each other as we share together. I had the privilege when we started back in September, our next, our, this semester that we're in through uh, our community groups, I had the privilege of starting a brand new community group for young adults. Why they picked me to help start a group for young adults, I don't know. I don't quite fit the demographic. But, but the first night that we met, one of the things we did, we just wanted to get to know each other. And so we just kind of went around the circle and had everybody share who they were, uh, where they were from, and, and, and why they wanted to be a part of this community group. And we went all the way around the circle. Every one of these were young professionals or young, just graduated from college. They are new to the area. Most of them didn't grow up in this area, came from other areas. And every one of them, to a person, said, I just don't have any friends. I'm new to the area. I work in my job. I go to work early in the morning. I get home late at night, and I don't know anybody. And I just wanted to meet, meet some new friends. You know, that's why we have these community groups. I got an email just uh, last week from one of the members of that new group. I want to read it to you. It says, hi, Ken. I hope, this well, I hope this email finds you well and you're having a great week. I just wanted to shoot you an email to say thank you for forming the community group. I am so incredibly blessed to be a part of it. I have always been searching for a sense of church community, and I can 100% say I have finally found it. Being able to go through the word with people that I click so well with and feel so comfortable with is such a blessing, and I am so thankful. I've already formed close friendships with everyone in the group, and my relationship with the Lord has already grown deeper because of them and our meetings on Wednesday night. I just wanted to tell you how much it means to me to have my heart belong here at Northgate. Because we need that kind of of relationships. We, we need that kind of community. Robert Putnam wrote a book recently. It's called Bowling Alone and just went through. Um, it, it was kind of a look at American culture and, and how the sense of community is declining, how people used to be involved in bowling leagues and, and now they're not. And people just are losing that sense of connectedness. And they've done, again, more and more research along this and found it um, being connected with people and having, having networks of people and, and, and social connections and, and friendships, deep friendships, contribute to so many areas of health. And even in our physical health, he writes this in the book. He says, as a general rule of thumb, they've discovered, if you belong to no groups but decide to join one, you cut your risk of dying over the next year in half. If you smoke and belong to no groups, it's a toss-up statistically whether you should stop smoking or start joining. These findings are in some ways heartening. It is easier to join a group than it is to lose weight, exercise regularly, or quit smoking. <laughs> he says, if it comes right down to your physical health, you get just as much physical benefit out of being part of a group as it would be to start a regular exercise regimen. 
So I thought we should start like for the next semester for our community groups. The new theme is going to be join a group or die. What do you think? Did that work, Vanessa? I don't know. We want to be a grace-filled community because we're all people in process, which leads to the next one, that we want to live generous lives. One of the characteristics of the early church was their generosity. It's astounding to me. It says they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now, I think that is an indicator. I think that is maybe the biggest indicator of a transformed life because we are not, as human beings, by nature, generous. Our default setting is selfishness. And I think that it says something about the transforming power of the Holy Spirit to change people who are selfish to be generous. It says in Acts 4.32, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had to the point where it goes on and says there were no needy persons among them that is an incredible statement to me i think generosity is one of the signs of god's transforming work in somebody's life it doesn't come naturally now for most of us it's not going to be an overnight transformation it is something that is going to be learned but you can learn generosity in the same way that you learn just about anything. How do you learn something? You practice. That's how you learn. When I was a kid, I wanted to learn to play the piano. I don't know how to play the piano. You know why? I didn't like to practice. It's as simple as that. The way you learn something is you practice it. The way you learn generosity, you practice it. And sometimes it's like piano lessons. You do your scales over and over and over and over and over and over again till you are sick of them. But you learn how to be generous because it is something that is learned. Now, one of the things that we did three years ago, we started this thing around here that we call the Dollar Club. And, um, and it's, it's not, it's practice is what it is. It's, it's, it's generosity for beginners because it only costs you one single dollar. But do you know, over the last three years, we have helped over 173 families to the tune of over $86,000. I think that's incredible. Now, one dollar is not a huge act of generosity. It's a baby step. But when all of us take those baby steps together, it has an incredible impact on people's lives. See, I think that's why, that's why Jesus said where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. There is that principle to it. You're going to learn generosity by practicing generosity. And the only way you practice generosity is by giving. That's the way you practice. And it's painful sometimes. And it's stretching sometimes. And sometimes it's a step of faith. But one of the things that we are committed to here at Northgate is developing generous living people because our God has been generous with us. Next one, that we want to engage in worship as a lifestyle, that worship isn't something we do just for an hour on a Sunday morning or a Saturday night. Worship is the offering of our whole hearts and our whole lives to God. It says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, 
praising God. The key words there is every day. It's not so much that they went to church every day. It's that their lives were oriented around God. Yes, they went gathered together for worship and temple, but they also met together in their homes and over meals and sharing life with each other. They, it, that, that worship became a part of their everyday life. It's developing a daily awareness of the presence of God in my life. Paul wrote about it to the Roman church. And I love the way the message paraphrase puts it because it's just very understandable. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Now, how do you do that? Here's the single best piece of advice I could give you. Slow down. Just slow down the pace of your life. Because I find most often what gets me out of that communion with God, with that, that, that what gets me going through a whole day without really having spent any meaningful time with him is my calendar. It's my busyness. And the single greatest contribution you can make to your spiritual growth and your life with God is to just slow down the pace of your life. Carve out time throughout your day to just acknowledge God's presence because he's with you. It's just learning to orient my life around his presence. And there's some very key times of the day. You do this every single day. You eat breakfast, you eat lunch, and you eat dinner pretty much every day. Meal times are the perfect time to stop and slow down. And, and by the way, if you are eating your meals through drive throughs and, and you can tell this if there's like French fries in the cracks of your seat, okay, you're eating way too much fast food. If, all, if you're just eating on the go, you're not, you're not even slowing down enough to eat physically to nourish your body. You're not, then you're sure not taking enough time to nourish your soul. So stop for a meal, and during a meal, take time to acknowledge God. Here's something. Every morning when you wake up, every night as you go to bed, just spend a few moments in God's presence acknowledging Him. At the beginning of the day, say, God, this is my calendar. This is my day. I don't know what's going to come across my plate. I don't know what, who I'm going to meet. I don't know what, but I'm putting it all in your hands, and I just pray that you would guide me through this day and just remind me from time to time of your presence. And then as you come to the end of the day, just close out the day by saying, God, thank you that you are with me today. And yeah, I kind of blew it here. And yeah, I lost my temper over there. But you were still with me. Let me tell you something. In one of the most intensely stressful times of my life, I found I wasn't able to sleep. I just, I couldn't get to sleep at night. And, and, and here's what I did. And, and it, it just helped immensely. I would just end my day in a time of prayer. And it goes something along these lines. And I've actually kind of made it a part of my life ever since. It's like, God, I didn't accomplish everything I wanted to today. And I made some mistakes along the way. But you were with me. And what I'm most grateful for is you are still with me even when I sleep. And you're in control of my life better than I am. So I'm just going to leave things in your hands for the next eight hours. <laughs> and I'm going to get some rest. And then I would recite, just in my head, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Lord, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Just a sense of peace and comfort and God's presence just allowed me to sleep. And, and it really just comes from slowing down. It's living a life of worship. One more. I believe God wants his church to be redemptive in all of our relationships. And he goes on and he closes out this way. It says they were enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved. I think there was a direct correlation between those two statements. They enjoyed the favor of all the people and the Lord added daily to their number. I think there was a direct correlation between those two things. Because when, when God's people started loving and caring for one another and caring for their community in the way that God intended them to be, people looked at that and said, wow, there is something going on there. I don't know what they believe. I'm not sure I agree with them. But man, there is something there that I know I need. I think their life together, their sense of community, their care for not only within the community, but those outside of their immediate community had an impact on the larger community and the Lord used that to add to their number every single day. Years ago, I was at a pastor's conference and one of the speakers raised this question. He said, if your church ceased to exist for some reason tomorrow, would the community that you serve notice the difference? Made me stop and think. If your church for some reason ceased to exist tomorrow, would it make any difference at all in the community you're in? Would they miss it? Would they care? Would they have lost something because you are not there anymore? See, that's the reason we do things like trunk or treat. That costs us a lot of time and energy and resources and money, but we do it just to let people know we care about our community. We love our community. We're here for our community, and we don't ask anything from anybody out there. This is something we do for you because we believe that the church ought to love its community, not take from its community all the time, but give back to its community. And that's why we do Trunk or Treat. It's why we do the Family Spring Fest. It's why we, we do the, um, the, 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 the holiday meals and, the, and the, the giving tree and all of those things. Because we want to love on our community. Because we believe we want to change the way the people view the church. And most people view the church as takers and judgmental and critical. And we want to say, no, we just love you. We just love you. I think that is foundational to the first century church. It is foundational to who we want to be as a church. So let me make it a little more personal. If you, for some reason, personally, 
ceased to exist. With the people around you, not the people that already love you, but the people around you that maybe don't love you, would they miss you? Would they have a sense of loss because you are no longer in their life? See, that's what it means to live redemptive relationships. I firmly believe that God has placed you and placed me in my neighborhood, in your neighborhood, on your job, in your school, and wherever you are, wherever you do life, I firmly believe God has specifically placed you there. And one of the reasons he has placed you there is to build a bridge for other people to come to know him. And you don't have to be a jerk about it, and you don't have to be a Bible thumper, and you don't have to spout memory verses day in and day out to people who have no idea what you're talking about. You can just love on them and care for them and extend the grace and love of God. And when you do that, you start building a bridge for people who don't know God to come to know him. That's what it means to be in a redemptive relationship. If we could just learn to look at every person we come in contact with as a divine appointment... Years ago, I heard Bill Hybel say these words, and they've stuck with me ever since. You have never looked into the eyes of someone who does not matter to God. You've never looked into the eyes of someone who does not matter to God. He, lives, he loves each and every one of them. And he wants each and every one of them to know him. And you and I have a part in that. The early church, that new community, launched an irresistible revolution of grace and love in this world. And now it's our turn. And the church is only as strong, and these values are only as deep as they are in each and every one of our hearts. So here's my challenge to you as we close. Which of these could you use a little bit of growth in? Which of these do you need to stretch yourself in a little bit? And how could God use you to make a difference in your community? your neighborhood, and your job. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.